0: Speaking of the IMDb's number one movie, um, am I am I the only one who thinks that Tim Robbins should just completely change his name to Andy Dufresne? I yeah, I, I mean that's, that's what I call him. I, it, it's a more catchy name, and I I don't know him enough as a celebrity. It's too. probably literally the best name that's ever been given to a, a person or character. It's 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 the perfect name for Morgan
1: Freeman to say, and when everyone else says it says it, they feel more like Morgan Freeman. <laughs> the big show. Hello, friendos. Welcome to Talking During the Movie, the show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm Mike, and I'm James, and uh, this is episode number 35. Uh, inside Mike and James, which is a gross title, but it's the title that you get. Uh, uh, we no excuses on this one. this one's fantastic. Uh, you know we ran through this is our Cone brothers episode um, in in, in commemor- which isn't really very clear from the title honestly inside Mike and James it doesn't really immediately say inside Lou and Davis um, but uh, we, I mean we get rid of two-thirds of the title right there. but uh, this is our <laughs> Cone brothers episode. Uh, in celebration of, uh, our review of Hail Caesar, uh, which we're, uh, doing as our main segment. And then, uh, No Country for Old Men, which, uh, I have coerced James into putting forward as an on the contrary, uh, uh-huh. because he doesn't, uh, care for it all that much. No, I,
0: I, I don't see it as, as very special. And that's,
1: mm. yeah. Um, we'll, we'll get into that. And yeah, we, we went through, uh, pretty much the entire Coen's filmography trying to, uh, find the name with the, the perfect, uh, just, just the right punch. Um, I like the Mike and James who weren't there, uh, or, oh, Mike and James, were art thou? But uh, we got the biggest belly laugh out of Inside Mike and James, so I guess we're kind of we're going to go with the anal sex joke. <laughs> hey, it didn't have to be anal. Um, I guess not. But <laughs> the other alternatives are very pleasant either,
0: so. Hey, this could be, like, we're both Arnold Schwarzenegger and Junior. Uh, and the listeners are babies. Uh,
1: oh, God. The dream sequence in Junior when he has the baby.
0: <laughs> now that's a forgotten it's, favorite. It's an, oh, a, my God. <laughs> bring that out. Director of Ghostbusters, everybody. Ivan now. Yes. <laughs> Which is the other movie that came out in close succession with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, the other being twins. Oh, um, uh, so much so that people often get those movies confused. And... I actually
1: might have. I'm pretty sure the childbirth one was from Junior,
0: but I don't. Yeah, no, the childbirth I... is from Junior. Okay, so. great. Yeah. I mean, no, it's horrible, but... You know. Yeah, I wonder whatever happened to that Triplets movie that's supposed to come out. Oh, God. That's... With, I... with Eddie Murphy as the... I, I as feel the... like maybe if we don't mention it, Hollywood will forget about it. <laughs> oh, my God. Some producer's going to listen to this and be like, shit, Oh, shit! I remember! That's <laughs> right! I, I was going to greenlight that, and then he's going to like click a... Big red button
1: that's on the desk in front of him, and alarms will sign. You know, we'll start blaring, and uh,
0: then we'll get triplets in theaters by by July. I think I pictured the button saying "fuck you all" on it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Triplets.
0: Anyways, um, what are we talking about again?
1: We're talking about Hail Caesar. But no, no. Oh, not right now. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the big news, if we have to go into this, uh, which I'm not, I'm a bit trepidatious about, because I feel like we're gonna get into a big rant about it, is the Directors Guild of America Awards, which happened two
0: weekends ago. Uh, no, no. This uh, is last weekend. It, yeah, it was just this last Saturday. It was the sixth. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, five days ago as of, t- as of this recording.
1: Oh, by the way, before we move on, I I, I do want to apologize to our listeners for well, – we did have a, a, a segment that we even plugged that was going to be a, a female coming-of-age episode uh, where we are going to talk about girlhood and Diary of a Teenage Girl. Uh, that episode did not end up happening uh, through the illness and other various circumstances. We were not able to record it, and we had to skip over it. We figured Hail Caesar was a more topical
0: uh, film to talk about this week, uh, so – I just wanted to... Yeah, those are both going to be interesting movies to talk about, and I'm sad we didn't get to. Yeah. But at the same time, those weren't those weren't necessary. Those movies both came out a while ago, so
1: I know. Um, um, and I'm I don't know if you you're not going to keep this up as a possibility, but I'm just going to at least keep it alive that I may get a chance to talk about them
0: later. Um, oh yeah, I mean, look, it's too. gonna be a long, like four months before another good movie comes out. So, so yeah, um, gotta, yeah, I know. And also, I mean, for a year lists,
1: which I believe. Oh yeah, and uh, on the next, And by the way, episode, we're
0: not just gonna be reviewing crap movies for the rest of the, oh, the rest of the okay. podcast. We're, we're gonna, but they're gonna be fewer and far between. In awards season, we'd be reviewing like three movies all worth talking about in the same episode. So that's yeah, not I gonna know. happen. It's gonna be I, like it, one movie like this, and then it, we're gonna have a
1: third it, segment. So be easier on us in terms of you know films we have to go see. But I do also want to make the the effort of keeping. Keeping an eye on what really like what good is out there, and uh, maybe even trying to find it in, in some unconventional theaters because it, it's not really worth it to sit here uh, to to spend money and then actually have it try to have a conversation about fucking I don't know uh, what what's coming up. Bride along two or something. You know, it, it's not gonna that's not gonna benefit anybody. This isn't how to be single. It's, how to oh
0: it's, God, God or uh, Eddie the Eagle. <laughs> I I want to see that in morbid curiosity. I,
1: that and race, which race has, I, like literally, I I actually wish it had come out during Oscar season because it would be the most <laughs> the most pandering baity thing I've ever seen. Even down to the title that uh, works as a double on. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Academy probably wouldn't even
0: get it. <laughs> oh, and then the line in the trailer—it's like. Well, you're white. You don't have to worry about that. And it's going to open my mind. Say wow. Oh my god, race is
1: ra- race racial differences are tearing us apart. They are different. It's race. And it's, like I, I, I there are great movies made about racial tensions and and you know racism and and different races being treated differently, but I mean, god, finger meat nose, you know? It's, um, you know. Put your finger on your nose. It's just very on the nose.
0: I, I, I kind of get what you're saying.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a bit. It's a bit less clear than than race. The title. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow. We can't even start a segment without without going crazy like this. Okay. So so the Directors Guild.
0: Awards. Yes, happened. Directors Guild Awards um,
1: happened. And uh, our favorite director won uh, for the second year in a row. That's, uh, of course, Alejandro G. Inuritu. Gonzalez and Yeah, um, I know what the G yeah, is for, but... but he's been abbreviating it to G lately, so I just kind of, I say G.
0: Yeah, you know, I kind of just go with what the actors credit themselves as, like Carrie Joji Fukunaga and yeah, Angelina Jolie-Pitt. he
1: just you know? abbreviated it to G now. Yeah.
0: No, he has, yeah. It's, it's Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritu in Birdman, but now it's Alejandro G. Inuritu. Yeah, maybe it's okay. Like a old David O.
1: Selznick or David O. Uh, Russell type thing. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's let, let let's... We're really bad today. We're so bad today. Right, let's let's rant. Let's rant. Uh, he won for the Revenant, uh, which James, as you pointed out to me earlier this week, uh, really throws a wrench into what we can expect from the Academy Awards.
0: Yeah, no, it really it really could have been, and this, I had I had written something about this, and I may still post it, but, you know, as a podcast, on the podcast might be redundant, but this actually had, this year actually had an opportunity to be the most, I, w- I want to say diverse, but that's the wrong word given the politics of the, <laughs> but the most varied, the most splintered Oscars ever by one measure.
1: In the sense that there would be no clear favorite. Content. Exactly.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, uh, all all the big the big six awards, well, eight awards really. I know there's like the big five, but the best picture, best director, the four acting awards, and then the two screenplay awards have never all gone to different films. And this year had an opportunity to be that. So on one hand, I was I was very disappointed um, because j- just in the fact that okay, not all these films that did really good things are gonna are gonna be recognized. But then. Then I started to think about, and a lot of people pointed this out that everyone everyone thought the the Big Short's PGA was dubious. Now the PGA is you know always, always been a predictor of of best picture. So if they thought it was dubious, they're looking for someone to upset it. <clears throat> and a lot of people are now looking at the Revenant mm-hmm. to upset the Big Short, which is a weird thing. And a sentence I never thought I would say um, for best picture. And if that happened, it would just take a shit on the entirety of – the entire range of of talent and quality films that happened across the year that made this year so exciting. I said that when the Oscar nominations come out that I was really excited reading over the list because – there was there was talent in every category. There wasn't a lightning rod. There wasn't a twelve years a slave. There wasn't a Birdman. You know, that there was just like, okay, let's nominate this film, let's nominate everyone who was in that film. let's nominate this film, let's nominate everyone who was in that film. There wasn't one of those. Mm-hmm. And that's what made it so exciting for me. And the fact that the thing that could ruin that all is the Revenant, which is a forced revenge film having great cinematography, great acting. Um and I, you know, we we we've given necessary credit to re too, where you know, where we saw fit. Yeah. But uh, it would just feel very empty to me and really wrong. And I'm seeing this live in a suit at the Pickford. So uh... in a suit, you're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> be a wearing suit. a suit. Yeah, dude. It's a it's a swanky event. You're supposed to really? dress up. Oh yeah. Huh. Like gowns and suits and stuff. Yeah. Why? No one no one from the in- is anyone
1: from the industry there? Cuz that's the only reason I can nope. imagine dressing up for the Oscars. Nope. You dress up for fun, man. Okay. Well, like Jesus. I mean, that sounds awesome. Very ritzy.
0: Um so that's my rant. And it's my rant that's giving as little it's giving as little vitriol to uh, inuree as possible in this. It would just be it would just be a huge disappointment. <laughs> Yeah, to what I thought was gonna be a cool year.
1: It's interesting. You're like in the position uh, on In this year that I was last year, and I, I feel like we kind of flip flop positions a bit. Not that I'm saying he deserves it, um, mm-hmm. but his victory wouldn't really incense me the way that Birdman's did, because Birdman Birdman was just kind of like a snarky aside to me. It was it was like him trying to make his his. Uh, his meta art commentary with all the banal self importance that I've come to associate with E2. And that just really pissed me off. Like that just it just sat wrong with me, despite all once again, uh, it being the work of clearly very talented people, uh, largely for the most part the actors and Emmanuel Lubetsky. Um the Revenant, at least to me, seems a bit more like in Uri To trying to make his apocalypse now or you know Fitzcarraldo you know going all out and into the wilderness and and him and his crew going insane and putting their entire bodies and psyches into a work of art where and it just seems more his his comfort zone not saying that makes it a great film because it's not a great film but I'm saying it's 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 where he feels I, I he seems more at home expressing himself as an artist in these you know desolate snowy mountains uh than he did in the cramped corridors of a broadway uh of a you know a a broadway theater and i feel like if he does win it'll be a bit more justified than birdman which i just saw as a big fat lie and just a big you know a big fuck you to an industry that then applauded it and uh, and gave it a gave it a trophy
0: um, and and yeah, I, no, I will say that I was definitely more blasé uh, about the Birdman Birdman winning. So so you're right about that, uh, and you I think you were about to say something of. Oh, I,
1: I was just going to say I um because the thing is I, I don't feel particularly strongly about uh the Big Short as a directed film. Um, it, it, I, I criticize its direction. when We reviewed it on the show. I stand by those mm-hmm. criticisms. I feel like it was trying to go for like a Scorsese kineticism thing, and it fell flat. Um, and I am honestly and and. This I'm actually interested to talk to you about because uh, people. The, one of the criticisms that people have been lobbying against Spotlight, which I feel like is another favorite for Best Picture, is that it's directed invisibly. It's directed almost like a. I, I keep hearing the word "TV movie" thrown around, which I'm kind of concerned about because I feel like we just kind of use that word now in any context where it, it's not you know George Miller esque levels of flashiness. Um, uh, where we just call it a TV movie direction. I think it's it's very strong direction. It's it's, it's subtle it it's unobtrusive and it lets characters and situations play out naturally which is journalistically sound like it's it, it's a very principled movie but I don't see it as being I, I see that as maybe potentially damaging it's it, it's uh, its chances particularly in the field of best director at the academy um the, what I argued and we talked about this earlier this week on Facebook um, the more I think about it the more there's
0: absolutely no
1: excuse for George Miller not to win this for Mad Max, and he's probably not going to.
0: No, oh, yeah, he's probably not. The Director's Guild is almost never wrong uh, in terms of who's going to win Best Director. It's... Well, it was really wrong in 2012,
1: but uh, other than that, it's few and far between. Um, 2012 was the year Matt Damon won. <laughs> Matt Damon, goddammit, Ben Affleck won. Yeah. It. And uh, he wasn't even nominated. He won for Argo, and he wasn't even nominated. Well,
0: that that's the time that... That's the main time that... Uh guild awards the main example of when guild awards are wrong is when the winner wasn't nominated yep um so i mean oftentimes if nominations are the same then or at least larger the same than the winner winner is going to be like if the winner of a guild award was nominated then they're probably going to win yeah, that's the best way I could
1: say. Yeah, it. that that's a good that's a good point. Um, it's it's very true because other than that, I think you had like Rob Marshall for Chicago, who was nominated but didn't win. Ang Lee for Crouch, Tiger and Dragon, who was nominated but didn't win. And then you go all the way back to 1995 with Apollo 13, where Ron Howard wasn't even nominated. Um, <laughs> Jeez. But every other time it lines up perfectly. So between 95 and now, which is 20 years, the span of 20 years, four years it doesn't match, and half of those years it's the director didn't even get nominated for the Academy Awards. So that that that's nuts. Um, so this is why I kind of hate keeping up with the guilds on the one hand, because it kind of ruins, uh, the suspense of the Oscars. Um, but yeah, I uh, I mean, I'm with you, James. I find that he won a bit disheartening, um, even though, weirdly enough, I think of the four we four films we're talking about, he'd actually, weirdly enough, probably be my second favorite choice. Not overall for the year.
0: Like, not overall. I have to be clear. Yeah, yeah, no. But, <laughs> but oh, of the nominees. Of the
1: nominees. Uh,
0: like, I'm not even sure that George Miller is, like, the best director in my mind for of, among of, uh, all the films I've seen. Oh, of all the... I mean, that's
1: a, that's a broad category, but of the nominees, he's... Far and away the best director. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, who else nominated this year again for best director? I, I,
0: Adam McKay. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Lenny Abrahamson. Um,
1: oh, Lenny Abrahamson is the one I haven't talked about yet. Which uh, we don't need to. Yeah. No, that's
0: fine. Uh, Tom <laughs> McCarthy, George Miller, and then the fifth one. <laughs> yeah, I know. Who's Who's the fifth one? Okay. Oh, and you read too.
1: Yeah. Oh, I thought you were being bitter no <laughs> no I wasn't fifth one I was just
0: being an idiot he who should uh, not be named
1: <laughs> I didn't know I didn't want to ruin the joke
0: no no that, that would have been great but you know I'm not that funny I'm just dumb so
1: <sighs> that's why we that's why we record together um <laughs> so, yeah so I mean I guess it's it I, I, yeah my, my most profound observation is that honestly I just think it's kind of funny that we reversed our positions on the Yuri 2 from last year.
0: Um, yeah, I just think you know. See, your your big thing too was, I, and I agree with you. Uh-huh. Richard Linklater should have won. Yes, duh. Yes. Um, but and and in this case, George Miller should should have won. My my overall dis George Miller should have won and should win. Um, but my overall disappointment is not merely, uh, not merely his winning. It's just the idea that of all the films that came out this year, of all the films that were nominated. The the one that's potentially going to win is for me the one with the least takeaway, you know. I'm mean, yeah. we're, we're really eight films nominated. I, I apologize. I don't really uh, have those. Um, uh, Bridge of Spies, Spotlight, Brooklyn, uh, the, the Martian, Revenant, Constant, yeah, yeah, Revenant, Big, uh, Big Short, Room, Room, Spotlight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, yeah, I think it's. I don't want to say. It might, no, it might honestly be the 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 one that's gonna stick with me the least for the going of, of forward of all and, those movies. I'm not. I mean, not for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's maybe it, you know. I think it's down there with with Room probably. Yeah, Room is probably the least abiding uh, movie there
1: um, for me. Um,
0: but that's it's down there of of all. Okay. The, all right. All right. Of all the, film, the best. I mean, I, I'm
1: not disagreeing with you, but I'm also not gonna. I mean, it's. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I guess to me, it would be an innocuous, uh, an innocuously incorrect uh, selection by the Academy. Not something like, uh, not something like last year where I really felt like Boyhood, like was there and it was gonna win or it had a really good shot and it got and and also that was just like this really monumentous piece of cinema. Like this year, I mean, of all the films nominated, who are we kidding? This is Fury Road. This is Fury Road's year. Fury Road is the best. Film probably out of all the ones nominated, um, but I like I'm I'm pretty confident in saying it's not going to. No, I've,
0: and and if, and
1: if I am wrong, I am happy to be wrong about that. I would love to be wrong about that, but I just I don't would go really. nuts in the Pickford. They would have oh, to throw me out. Oh my god, they would. Throw, <laughs> they would throw you out. I would I, wherever whichever venue I'm occupying that night, I will probably do the same. Um, and. Uh, man, uh, please, Academy surprised me, but uh, other than that, I, I mean, the, the Revenant—I guess maybe just doesn't—it's it, just not that far down below to me. It, it, it's just—it's it, just innocuous. It—it's it, not enough to to charge me up and make me angry, you know. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but I, I guess know. that's just an arbitrary thing. I I do agree with you. It's it's I don't believe the best film won, but there you go. There you have it.
0: The Oscars <laughs> haven't happened yet, everybody. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking about the G- DGA. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, shit, they might as well have happened. So
1: I, I, This is what I hate. Every year, I, I text you the same thing last year. I'm just like, fuck, it's over. Like the same, I think this. You did, yeah. You are like Birdman's going to win. It's over. Birdman's going to win. It, it took it, it took over the the PGAs and the DGAs, it, which is funny because before that, uh, Birdman was not really in the conversation, and it was just considered a slam dunk for Boyhood. Maybe Grand Budapest would sneak in there, um, but it, the Boyhood was the clear favorite with all the momentum behind it. Uh, uh, it was it was the Hillary Clinton. Uh, which hurts me to say because I'm not a Clinton fan. And then, uh, and then in your e two was was Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Boy, that damn debate tonight.
0: Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that. Man, I, I, just, I earlier you know how I've been like staying just incredibly far away from politics. Yep. Yeah, and then the other the other day I was just. I was scrolling through Facebook or something. I saw that Bernie, the Bernie Sanders, not Bernie Tita, which I always think I Bernie, <laughs> no. But... See,
1: now, now it's it's ruined the movie Bernie for me because <laughs> when I bring it up or or I bring up Bernie Tita, which I have in the last few days, I keep feeling like I'm talking about Bernie Sanders.
0: Yeah, but but I saw that Bernie won New Hampshire. Yeah, and then I was I was listening I was listening to people celebrating. I was listening, you know, listening by by that I mean reading, and I was reading, you know, the his like victory speech and things like that. And then I felt this like I felt like political James from like years years past bubble yeah. up inside me. Okay. And and then and then I had to like go to the toilet and throw it up so I you know that would stay out of here because
1: Oh man. Uh, I I'm curious. <laughs> was it was it so 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 you would you had you had a you had a thing or two to say to Mr Sanders? No,
0: no. It wasn't like a it was no no Oh, I'm not, oh I, it was okay. It, it, was, it was like Political inspiration. Oh God. Like,
1: <laughs> okay. Good. I'm like. I feel like that every single time I hear him talk.
0: No, and I've been. I've been just saying. I've been trying my damnedest to stay the fuck far away from. Politics.
1: No, I know. But at the same so. time, I have a picture of Bernie Sanders hanging up on my wall right now. I'm just gonna stare yeah. at it sometimes. And I sometimes I wait for it to yell at me like a crazy Brooklyn
0: grandpa that I don't have. Just be like, I am tired. <laughs> Of th- uh, talk Oops. to the movie. Show where two jackoffs can't, you know, stop talking about Bernie Sanders to talk about movies. We we, we took a minor aside. This
1: isn't even nearly the worst one we've done even so far this show. So <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, and there will be more. I love how I love how I uh, I I do this. I uh, make us late recording, and then I I deliberately. I'm not doing this deliberately, but uh, I mean I, I am I am doing things, knowing this as I do them, that are going to make your job editing this harder. <laughs> no, dude, I'm, one day I'm just gonna throw it all just raw. You could like you could throw not... this raw. I think it'd be kind of funny, although no one would listen to the whole thing. They would turn it off halfway through.
0: Yeah, they'd be like, why are they talking about, what the fuck do I... <laughs> what
1: the fuck? I just wanted to hear about Hail Caesar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> says uh, Hail Caesar, so uh, no one no one watched this movie, so... says so, says so uh, and
1: Woodford are one, uh, one
0: uh, dutiful listener.
2: I, oh, yeah, I hope I, you watch I, it. I, that's not true.
1: There are a lot of listeners, and actually, I, no, there, I, I have no idea. It seems like there are more listeners now, actually. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to tell. There, There is
0: upper, upper, t- upper digits still under 10. <laughs> well, that's, that's people. I'm No, they are, they are, ab- and we, we love you. I, tell no, your friends. I'm,
1: absolutely. So, yeah, sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, elevate any one person over the rest. If there, there are more than one, there's more than one person listening to us, I am I am ecstatic about that. That you have, he how should. happy that
0: makes me. Yeah, but Jordan Winford's the only one who has a name to us. Like, tell us your name. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's kind
1: of our fault. I feel like we should look into, uh, you know, putting up some more, uh, more interactive means to kind of send us feedback. which I've been meaning to do for months, and I've just been, late. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know. Uh... I'm going to set that as a goal for next show. You guys, uh, maybe we can uh, set up uh, an email system where we, you can kind of uh, – you know, we, we have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account. Uh, but maybe also kind of set up a, an email that uh, people can submit feedback to or suggestions. Uh, uh, and maybe if I get really fancy with Squarespace, I can eventually put up a message board, which would be interesting. Um, that would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just, just just want you guys to know we appreciate your, your patronage. We really – just honestly, it's it means – the world to us thank you let's get on to hail caesar oh yes well uh, but, uh, yeah we are moving on uh let's just start this uh here we'll, we'll we'll meld the news tidbit into the review uh start this by saying that hail caesar was kind of a bomb
0: this this weekend and it's funny too so i'm um, man i I just started. I just started a thought in my mind that that involves a shameless plug, and I didn't mean it to when I started that thought.
1: Are you gonna, are you gonna finish the thought, even with the plug?
0: Yes, because you know, hey, um, and that's just that I saw. Even though this film was such like a box office bomb over the weekend, it, it, all, all every every like film website I talk about, I I read was talking about Hail Caesar in one way or another, which inspired me to write an article about it that got published. That was great. Um, Follow me on Twitter. You'll find it. Yeah. There. That was was a
1: shallow plug. It's fine. and I'll even plug it, too. It's it's a
0: pretty great article. I
1: I enjoyed it immensely. And it's even in list format, which is my favorite kind of format because I'm a millennial douche. Um.
0: (laughs) And it's on Film School Rejects. They're a great website. Read them. Read my article. Hopefully, there will be more. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah – People, people still like to talk about this movie, but apparently no one wanted to see it. Well, because everyone's excited about
1: you know a new Coen Brothers film. As they, not everyone. I mean, it's not like they're you know fucking Steven Spielberg, but they're. And by that I mean name recognition, not talent. um, Just to be clear. Um, But I feel like a new Coen Brothers movie is always occasion to celebrate. Um, And I, I have been excited about *Hail Caesar* for months since i first saw that trailer uh, which was incredible uh and that has since been revealed to be a
0: complete lie um <laughs> <laughs> which was the basis of my article yeah the basis of james's article um you know i'm looking at the poster too and that's it. it's also a complete lie because his tagline is lights camera abduction
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no they uh they really do a lot to frame this film around uh uh a kidnapping plot that ultimately turns out to be only one in a series of uh, subplots that are, make up the film, or more like vignettes, is maybe the appropriate word. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that only really relate to one character in, in their entirety, which is uh, Eddie Mannix, played by Josh Brolin. Um, mm mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, so no one really – despite what I saw as successful marketing and that it made the movie look endlessly appealing, uh, no one really saw it. And I guess that's kind of what goes uh, –
0: it's kind of what you get when you open your film on Super Bowl weekend, but uh. – Yeah, it's like on one hand, you're opening up in February, so goodbye to any awards chances you ever hope to have. I, I don't think um, they were aiming for that, at least. No, they, they weren't. They weren't. I mean, it, it definitely looked like a prestige picture, and uh. I don't want to completely take that title away from it, but – um, okay. But still, it's it's not. Um, it's definitely not setting its all its hopes and dreams. It's not hanging yeah. its hat on a potential award thing. Um, but yeah, and then you release on Super Bowl Weekend too.
1: Yeah. So and
0: what are people doing on Sunday? They're not watching your movie. They're not going to the box office. What are
1: people doing on Saturday? Probably uh, either drinking a lot in preparation or preparing They pre-gaming yeah they're pre-gaming you know that's it was just not a good weekend for uh two of hollywood's most respected filmmakers to come out with their latest opus but um you know here we are
0: i was just thinking to myself i was like well i went to the theaters over the weekend what movie did i see <laughs> god it's so a fucking hell season <laughs> see i told you i'm just an idiot God, man, I, see, that bums me out, because, so, the, the
1: film has gotten, I, you know, mildly positive reviews, it's been warm, uh, nothing great, um, and this seems to be, uh, something that, uh, every single Cohen farce, all their farce comedies have in common, which is that, upon their reception, and even up to several years after they come out, they get anywhere between mixed, uh, and lukewarm reviews, mm-hmm. um, And then oftentimes, which has been the case with Raising Arizona uh, and The Big Lebowski, they become completely beloved, uh, either cult films or just, you know, classic films. Uh, And people see them for the genius that they are. Uh, They they stop complaining that these movies are about nothing and not funny and nihilistic and boring. And they actually view them as great pieces of cinema. Um, This happened to... Uh I believe this happened to O Brother Where Art Thou, which uh seems to be viewed in a much better light today than it was in two thousand when it came out. Um it certainly happened with Burn After Reading. It 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 I think it's in the process of happening with Burn After Reading. I think uh I think that well, yeah, people are
0: coming around to people, it. Now. I think I people are coming around part, yeah. to it.
1: Um and uh just to show my hand here, I absolutely think that's gonna happen with Hail Caesar. Uh No, I, I, I...
0: I think I'm great. head over heels for Hail Caesar. Oh, I love oh, it. Oh
1: great. I loved yeah. this movie. I, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm I really liked Hail Caesar. And almost every single person I liked, the few people who actually saw it, I they didn't care for it. And every time I, I asked them why, they say that it's uh, it, uh probably stemming of the fact that it's not what they were expecting uh they said it was boring that it was uh jarring and disconnected uh and ultimately pointless and that there were no stakes in the film uh to which point I, I i say how the fuck is that any different than the big lebowski or raising arizona or uh, no, country for old men. no country for any any Cohen film has an undercurrent of of nihilism, of, of futilely stupid characters that are still treated somehow endearingly. Um, like, the Coens are the most happy, upbeat cynics I've ever seen make a film. And they do this consistently through all of their work, and it comes out the best for me in their farces.
0: I, I fucking... Cr- I, die- I I laughed a okay. lot in this movie. <laughs> no, this, this was... If this movie had came out in, in 2015, it would have been the funniest movie I'd seen. It was so there, there funny. are two really, There like... are two really good comedies in 2015, yes. and that, that was uh, um, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh my God. And yes. Yeah, That was really funny, and then there was a romantic comedy with Jason Sudeikis called Sleeping With Other People that was also really funny. Um, oh, really? That was good? Uh, it, yeah, it was really funny, not necessarily very good. Oh,
1: okay.
0: I, I wanted to see it the the movie has like an like an iron giant phenomenon would need just to do a little mini review for whatever reason but that okay, great. It, it it there's a spot where it could have ended mm-hmm. and then the movie continues and although i like what what it what it happened what happened after it continued like i like the iron giant actually coming back alive i think it would have been a better movie had it not and that's okay. why it's sort of
1: okay
0: it, yeah so that, that's where i am on that but it regardless it doesn't take away from the fact that it was very funny those were my far and away the two best comedies of yeah. the year um, for me, and Hail Caesar, I think would have been as funny, easily or funnier um, than both of them. So, and the thing about these movies, and this is what this is just a love, this is a letter to co- to comedy movies right now, is that these movies are funny because someone actually took the time to fucking write them. Oh my um, god! I,
1: the Coens are I, I truly believe this. I I think the Coens are the best American screenplay writers working in Hollywood right now. I really, I, I no, I I do, and maybe that'll be, maybe I'll reconsider that after I have more time to consider the entire body of of writers who are encompassed by that demographic. But I really do. They they have a way of imbuing like five simultaneous different meanings into a single sentence at one time. Half of which are jokes, and the other half are like dark nihilistic jokes. Like it's.
0: Well, and, and the thing is, like these—that's the thing. You, people, as comedy movies forget that you should write jokes. You should structure them. You, you know, they're they're so it's just like dial dial a pun, you know. Uh, nowadays, you see it. We talked about this a thousand times with, spy with the trailer of uh, of Deadpool that first came out. You know, these are and uh, honest. I saw the movie uh, Sisters, and it's it's the same it's thing. The it's same. just like. Yeah, well, it's it's the same style of comedy in that you know they they didn't want to script situations; they just put characters in arbitrary situations and had them basically ADR over jokes. You know, it's like it could have if it didn't have to be that joke. They said it could have been any other one. Yeah, the the idea
1: about this is um, like like I'm not saying I don't don't think you're saying either that jokes. I mean, I mean, jokes are still in Hollywood almost exclusively dialogue based they're they're verbal jokes but i think one of the negative influences of like apatow comedies which i like i think i like judd apatow i've praised his movies but i think he, he they've had a negative effect on the comedy world where uh now a lot of times films are essentially improv driven or at least they're kind of going for that aesthetic where it's it's clearly characters speaking off the top of the head at top of their head they're um you know they have a more naturalistic cadence they're they're not structured jokes they're loose they're and you kind of feel like uh the film was assembled from a bunch of different takes where they just kind of went off in all different sort of improv directions um which is is it's fine and i think it can be used really well by people who know how to do it but it's kind of taken over the comedy world so much that you don't really have that kind of like the Coens exhibit like some kind of verbal linguistics that uh Fuck. I mean, like, it's it, it's the same kind of thing. Like, who's on first with with Abbott and Costello? And it's not necessarily that much even more highbrow than that, you know? No, it's not. This, this movie, <laughs> this movie has an
0: extended priest and rabbi joke. That I is mean, that is one of my favorite sequences. The, the no, yeah, it's it's where he... Hail Caesar. Okay, so fuck this movie is about. Uh, Eddie <laughs> <Man-A's>. uh, <laughs> So Eddie Mannix is a real person, played by in this in this movie, played by Josh Brolin, uh, who is a Hollywood fixer. So he basically controls the news narrative regarding the stars, so studios get in, don't get in trouble. Uh, people would say we need more more fixers in Hollywood, but whatever. Um, and in the fifties, studio system, they had. I mean, this was this was really true. This is, no, it was yeah. It, I mean, Eddie Mannix was also a much darker character who apparently had mob ties, but still. Yep. Um. In in this movie, "Hail Caesar," they're producing a movie "Hail Caesar," which, near as I can figure, is Ben Hur. Um, um, it's yeah, pretty much. It's there's another movie that it referenced too,
1: um, but I don't remember the name. Ben hurs definitely the the more prominent film.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a. Actually,
1: it's
0: it's a, a yeah, I mean it's a what is it a roman who goes uh, who, on a journey and has it, an encounter is it, with Christ.
1: He's inspired by jesus and uh, makes a final he's slowly moved uh moved by jesus and and uh, switches over to his philosophy and at the end gives an enormous uh, heartfelt speech underneath the crucified savior
0: and be, and because and because of this josh and eddie mannix has assembled a meeting of I think was it? Is it four different uh, faiths? It's it's um, yeah.
1: So it's I believe Protestant, Catholic. I don't remember the third uh, denomination. And then there's a Jewish Jewish rabbi.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and they're all talking, and he's all asking them like, basically, is this offensive? Or is what you've read the have, script? Have we how have we portrayed Jesus accurately and in a way that's that you won't get angry about? Uh huh. And what ensues, I can't even no, give it's... justice to by quoting. So, uh, but it's it was hilarious. I was dying, and uh, you know all the same things you've heard over and over again. But and, and this is sort of it's a situation and that is constructed to produce humor.
1: Um, I'm, and I mean, they don't even need a situation all the time. I they got a laugh from me. Uh, I think even maybe the, the the scene just before that when uh, Eddie Manx is watching an early print of *Hail Caesar*, and uh, they have uh, you know, most of the uh main actors are. are Account. Like, most of the main footage is shot, but every so often there'll be a, an establishing or you know a cutaway that needs to be filled in, and it will have a black screen there indicating that the, the footage needs to be added. Um, mm-hmm. And there's one where uh, I believe it's it's uh, Joseph or someone who looking looking up to the sky, and it cuts to where God's supposed to be, and it's just a black screen that says "divine presence to be shot." Yeah, <laughs> which which is hilarious on the one hand, and on the other, it's also a double. It's it's also a double meaning, which then is in and of itself fucking hilarious. <laughs> which I don't know if I mean I don't know how intentional that was, but the thing is with the Coens, you can never not, you you can never discredit them for a double entendre. They do that a lot. Yeah, I
0: want to say that you can't really give them too much too much credit. You know. So... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. Because a lot of times it, it is deliberate. They have a, the Coens are notorious about not really allowing improv on their movies. So, so even furthering that point, it's kind of the opposite of traditional comedy.
0: Like they, they Yeah, st- I mean, and not even just in writing. You have st- like, you have you have Tilda Swinton yep. in this movie, um, and she plays she plays two different characters who you know look look the exact same. They're they're set in dialogue to be sisters, but but what does it say? Uh, uh, but it has to say something that the Coen brothers. Um, created two characters who are exactly the same and they all just represent different different sects of entertainment writing, yep. you know, specifically yeah, one, gossip. One, what is he trying to say that this is all just one like faceless, bloodthirsty it, it's all mob? The,
1: it's all the <laughs> same. It's it, the, the sordid gossip column and the, the more quote-unquote serious news entertainment reporting. It, it's the same fucking animal. Um, the, the, it, it's kind of interesting how this works as a satire of Hollywood um, because this is what the cones do all the time that I, I, I love on the one hand, it's incredibly scathing. I mean, these, these people are narcissistic. They're stupid. They have no self-awareness whatsoever. Um, they're good at one thing. And often they're not even very good at that. Um, they, they have almost no talent. And yet I never really feel like the Coens are ever like they're always still seem so kind to their characters. They kind of Whoa. like have a warm, soft spot for their characters, and even uh, even it's even the presentation of Hollywood genres. Uh, like there are two different sequences: one of uh, Scarlett Johansson doing this really. Uh, you know, intricate water ballet, and another with uh, a, just a dance number, a song and dance number with Channing Tatum, and both of the num- both of them are. They give ex- you the whole numbers. They, they give you the whole numbers, and they're both extremely corny on the one hand, and on the other hand, just absolutely impressive. Particularly the like, like they're just gorgeously choreographed and visually presented, and and you're kind of like simultaneously like laughing at this Hollywood, you know, this Hollywood narcissism, and on the other hand, in awe that something so beautiful can be creative created with such dumb you know self-obsessed people and that that's kind of where the beauty of hail caesar satire is for me
0: because it it somehow plays it both ways
1: and i think the cohen's well yeah and
0: this is this is what in my mind you know i I said i said this a different way in the article where i called it both a a love letter and a middle finger to hollywood yeah um and but put a different way uh i compared this in my mind to to south park writing and this is actually something you said that uh, about their Game of Thrones episode, that it's never as simple that when South Park parodies something or or gives satire against it, that they don't like it. You know, exactly. uh, you could you could tell when watching the, uh, you know, the Song of Bast and Fire trilogy that <laughs> yeah. it's not just it's not just that Trey Parker and Matt Stone really hate Game of Thrones and they're gonna you know shit all over it. It's it's not. There's more. There's more no, endearment. It, there. it actually comes from the perspective of someone who has.
1: A an almost encyclopedic knowledge of the source material, and therefore yeah. knows all of the ridiculous elements of it, and can exploit those for comedic effect. But also does so with ultimate reverence for for what it's what it's lampooning. Um, and I be- and that applies well, it's, to
0: the Coen Brothers here exactly, in Spain. exactly. Exactly. You know, they're such they're so in, in, engraved in Hollywood. They they've been there, done that. This you know? is, this is um, their
1: beautiful take on the fifties Hollywood that was kind of mythologized for them growing up. And I'm, I'm I'm only half kind of speculating on that just based on the time period they were in. But I I mean, the Coen's, I mean, they, they were, they knew this Hollywood from the films they saw growing up. It, it's, it's kind of interesting because they seem to, it it, it seems so insider that they were, you would think that they were there. You do think that they were active filmmakers in the 1950s. And, um, there's a... well, I mean, I'm certain there's carryover in, in
2: yeah. you
1: know, attitudes and practices. So, Oh, I'm sure there are. Um, Yeah, no, definitely. But um, if you ever listen to a podcast called uh, You Must Remember This, uh, which is uh, put on by this uh, former film critic, uh, but she's a, a film scholar named Karina Longworth. And uh, she does – it's basically the untold stories of famous Hollywood stars. Um, the season that she just – finished up was called mgm stories which is basically um uh, you know behind the scenes accounts of uh tons of mgm stars and studio execs and producers um and even eddie mannix the real eddie mannix uh and what happened behind the cameras and how different personas were artificially created and marriages dissolved and um you know how this how debaucherous these people really were um and I swear to God, like parts of this film, whole sequences of it, just kind of seemed like they had listened to that podcast and and adapted it for the screen, which I know they, did. <laughs> which which I, you know, I'm not saying that they did because the Coens always they they do a level of research to the amount to the point that, like, they can get minutia right, which like they they, they don't focus on broad overarching. Things that happened in 1950s Hollywood. They, they 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 research it enough to the point where the world feels lived in. It feels genuine, and they can get it down to a T. They're they're meticulous about that, just as they're meticulous about their dialogue and script. Um. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, all all this all this is really my my feeling, and really my my counter to everyone. I, Everyone I've asked about this has said the same thing, and I've heard the same thing. I, you know, I I did look about look up. I don't normally, but I did look up reviews, yeah. um, to see you know what people are saying against this, and it it's almost a hundred percent that the story is so splintered and unfocused, and it, and it's just wrong. It's, I it's wrong in my mind because the story's focus is everything one every every vignette in this movie is connected by Eddie Mannix and that should tell you mm-hmm. something that the movie's not really about them it's about him and what is he he is hollywood he is what they saw yeah. as the industry of hollywood and he goes through this almost like re- not almost religious he's very very religious in the movie um, but he equates his faith in 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 a higher power with his faith in the industry of hollywood and he is imbued with this righteous a uh, righteous charge to do what is right, you know. That's and what he sees is right is fixing Hollywood, <laughs> you know. And it, it's it, it, th- yeah. and that's what this movie is about, and it, that's the connective tissue that is everywhere.
1: They kind of do this and, really interesting. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. No, no, I I was probably rambling at this point. Uh, so. okay, okay, I. Uh... Like the Cohen's only the Coens can take this like very modern institution, this like twentieth. I mean, it's, this is twentieth-century Hollywood. This is post-industrial revolution, very uh, you know you know ultra modern capitalist uh, institution, and make it seem like a timeless vessel for exploring religious faith. It's not even necessarily religious faith. I guess it's, it's maybe just like a one character's spiritual well-being uh, in terms of how he approaches. Uh, his life and, and, uh, you know, trying to almost, you know, Eddie Maddox in this movie is basically trying to redeem the, the sorts of people who tend to flock toward Hollywood and droves, Um, which which is kind of, it's a really interesting and, and kind of endearing way to frame the movie. Um, And uh, I don't know they, they somehow do it with just the right amount of, Tact where it never feels sanctimonious, but it never, uh, it, it doesn't take the, like, you know, it, it doesn't take the seriousness off of Josh Brolin's kind of crisis of faith, where he's, he's, you know, contemplating between staying in Hollywood, helping out these miserable, you know, self destructive people, uh, and going to a more secure job with more, you know, decent hours and better benefits and better money at, uh, Lockheed. Uh, Martin, which is you know, which was really gaining traction at the time, uh, and and basically offered him an out, Um, and uh, like Coen protagonists will always have these like crises of faith. The same thing happened in A Serious Man, um, uh, except the character in A Serious Man took the exact opposite path, and uh, it, it you know it gets reflected in what happens in that film, but there's, there's never, I don't know. There, there never seems to be any, uh, like, I, I don't know. The Coens always present their protagonists with very interesting choices. And the consequences of those choices are never really clear, but they always mean something.
0: Um, I think I'm, oh, at this point. I think I'm, I think I'm rambling at this point. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, there's, there's a similar thing with a similar reaction people had to, to, to burn after reading, you know, it's, it's not quite as, as, segmented in yep. burn after reading but it still it deals with a lot of moving parts a lot a lot to juggle and you know yep. it, and honestly people saw it as pointlessness but um the the movie was sort of about pointlessness and, and when we did it on a forgotten favorite I I loved that it was it was a very self-aware almost like Almost like looking in the mirror, you know, taking a hard look at themselves, and you know, being well, able the to thing laugh. Is,
1: it's not—it's not even necessarily that it's—it's—it's it's, it's nothingness. It's that people, like the, all of this, like, burn after reading. It's many things, but ultimately, it's—it's it's an hour and a half buildup to a punchline, and, and mind you, it's a really funny nihilistic punchline that actually reflects a lot of how the Coens see human travails in human uh you know like see the antics of the of the characters they have on screen and people act as if that joke means that it didn't mean anything i think the cohen's comedy like the power of the comedy comes from the fact that that their comedy actually does reflect on uh you know not only how the Coens see the world, but what the character's place in the world is, um, and even though it's kind of nihilistic and it kind of diminishes them to being, you know, fools, it's it's not meaningless. It's it's got a point to it, and and whether or not that point satisfying to you is, besides, you know, that that's another question. But the Coens are not. I mean, they're not belittling what came before by with their sense of humor that's kind of what i appreciate about them
0: yeah i mean i don't i'm trying to think of something else to say so i don't belabor the same point um J- josh brolin's fantastic um, he is yeah and you know i i don't want to say that I've, i haven't always thought that i don't also want to say i have always thought that he's I don't know. He's not quite. He's not quite a George Clooney who I think is like only good in in Coen Brothers movies. But <laughs> uh, George Clooney, I, I think it's just because the Coens know how to use George Clooney, right?
1: Um, because George Clooney is like very. He is a classic Hollywood star. He is. He is Clark Gable. You know. He is. Uh, He's, he's Clark Gable, but he's in the hands of some of, of people who know who Clark Gable is, and they can make jokes about the Clark Gable persona, and it's 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 like a postmodern Clark Gable. That that's what makes George Clooney's roles in Cohen movies so fucking hilarious. Is that they know exactly what kind of person they're dealing with, and they know what his role is. Um, whereas I feel like the rest of you know, the rest of the films George Clooney does. Kind of fall prey to his star persona, like they almost feed into it. Whereas the Coens can actually use it for their own artistic purposes. Like they're 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 smart about that. They're not they're not they're not slave to it. I think that's why they keep using
0: George Clooney in their farces. Um and, and uh, on George Clooney, he had a great he had a great I think understated and maybe people won't pay enough attention to this line in the movie. Um, and it so he I George if Clooney is the one I'm thinking an, of. George Clooney has an encounter with communists, yep. and, yes. which is which, which is a great thing, and they have in this movie. Um, great, a running theme that you could you could look a lot into about what the Coen Brothers think communism has yep. to do uh, with with the industry of Hollywood, um, and that's part of the part of the theme here because they're talking about they're doing a the the communists are telling George Clooney about the problems with hollywood you know that you know actors writers things like that which i think a lot of this has changed since but you know they don't you know they get they get paid one off and then they don't get any any they don't get a share of the proceeds from the actual movie you know it's just like okay here's your check and now go away yeah um and then and then they talk about and then george clooney who is most of the movie really dumb oh Uh, i listened to the B movies podcast review of this, so I'll give credit where credits due. They said like that if Baird Whitlock wasn't an actor, he'd be dead in a ditch somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he actually makes a very, he has a very smart realization, a smart idea, a smart question anyway. Because uh, they're after they're telling him all this, he's like, "Well, do I do I get a share of my ransom money?" <laughs> and then they're like, "Well, you can't very well get a share of your ransom money." <laughs> And that—that that to me, it, it, it's so hand in hand with that line because it, the the metaphor there is that like actors are being ransomed for. Yeah. The, I mean, their talent is being ransomed anyway. Yeah. Uh. So and I don't know that that's that one that line for me. It it didn't it didn't epitomize the the uh, Coen Brothers commentary, but it was definitely it was definitely a a pillar of it.
1: Um. Yeah. No. There there were one off moments. The the name names line made me die. Which one was that? The, the one where he uh I, he says something effective. I don't want to name names. And then he just like, everyone just kind of like lurches forward and stares at him really intently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, man, I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, even if you don't want to take into, like, t- take into account all the Coen brothers, uh, like, their their thematic juice that goes into this, I don't see how someone just doesn't find it absolutely hilarious it, and it's funnier the more you get the references and even I only, I, I got maybe like like maybe a third of the uh, oh yeah follow? no you could
0: like, you could spend I, all day trying to figure out what's which is actually why and this
1: even is even increasing my recommendation because I'm really eager to watch it again and and see more of the of the influences and the the direct jabs that the Coen brothers are taking at different films um uh and even after you know I part of it just requires you to know more about the the 1950s hollywood studio system at the time um and it's it's even more interesting within the historical context because this is a studio system that within the next i mean it, this is the movie covers maybe the last decade of that studio system before it just absolutely collapses and these people are dancing on a volcano and they don't really know it but it's almost just like it you know it's it's Hedonistic and self-destructive, and, and nobody cares, and they're all okay <laughs> with that. Um, and I don't know. There's something kind of beautiful about how the Cohens, you know, like, I, I keep I keep belaboring this point, but they, like both celebrate and uh,
0: criticize it. Um, it's well, that's important. That's it's important really to be able to beautiful. do, and it's really hard jobs. Yeah, it's it's hard
1: because you have to do both without taking sincerity off either,
0: and I, I don't think they do. Well, yeah, and it's sort of like when I first well <laughs> well. Okay, fine. I'm. I'm. I already said it. I'm going into it. When I first. Uh, when I first watched uh, Birdman, huh. um, I I my imp- my first impression of it was that it was, it was, it was sort of an equal lampooning of the Hollywood system and of the theater system. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I, I, honestly, obviously, upon further viewings of that movie, I can tell that it's it was very insincere about criticizing like theater actors. and yeah. In the theater. Um. You know, it cared a lot more about telling everybody how superhero movies are shit.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. I don't know. I I think the people who are frustrating it, there may be... I can't tell if they're overthinking it or underthinking it. Like, they want to have some large, you know, grandiose message at the heart of it. Um, Whereas most of the time, the Coens are just really interested in, in like, uh, dumb people with a lot of power. <laughs> and, and like, and, and it, I emphasize the word "people" in that sentence. Weirdly, like they're always people, um, but they're there are, you know, they're, they're never. I don't know. They're they're loving satirists, and I don't know when that stopped being enough to sustain a movie, um, according to most of the movie going public. Yeah. I guess I don't that's not. I, I feel like, and you know, I can I can belabor this. We can go into the screenplay and probably pick it apart line by line. It's that dense, um, uh, and I just so, something that has so much love and care and clear talent put into it. Uh, when it's you know disregarded to this extent, it, it, it is a bit disheartening. But like I said, I think it'll I think it'll pick up steam. I think it's going to become a I think I think it'll become one of their more beloved comedies uh, in the future. I, I just I think people for some whatever reason uh, when you have really class A talented filmmakers for some reason they st- you know when people watch it they still see comedy as being beneath them um, it, without realizing that even in their dramas the Coen Brothers are often hilarious or at least humorous darkly to some extent um, except perhaps for the film we're gonna talk about today but.
0: No Gun for Old Men. I think that's the best transition we could do, or else we're going to just devolve into blither. I know. Um, I know. If I hadn't already. Um. <laughs> no, we're going to... We, yeah, we are going to move on. Um, I, w- I was definitely strong-armed into this one. Um, I was. I, I mean, you were. I, I strong-armed you, but... I, it, it's fine. You know, actually, actually the first time... I think the first time that... I think one of the first times, if not the first time, that Mike and I ever conversed about film... Uh, it was about our competing feelings for No Country for Old Men. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's true.
0: Um, I seem to remember being a late newsroom conversation where you're like, "What?" Probably. <laughs> it was, I think it was like our second one after The Dark Knight, which we yeah,
1: yeah, we yeah, had we one, did talk about we Dark had Night one first. slam dunk, and then the next one was just a complete. It was, it wasn't. That was our Vietnam. Um, <laughs> uh, and and you know, fortunately, I have. Like almost the
0: entire critical film body on my side, um, <laughs> he does. Yeah, no, this is as, as I told him before that this is this is going to be a very like Dark Knight esque. Uh, on the contrary, um, uh-huh. which was our our first on the contrary. We did on, on the contrary was, on the Dark Knight, so you know it's it was not... on the Dark Knight, and and my on the contrary was that uh, for the, the Dark Knight. Although I don't think my feelings are strong, is that you know I still. I still really like I still really like the Dark Knight. It has some serious problems that people overlook for bad reasons, and and it's not and it was it didn't deserve the the praise even within the uh, within the Christopher Nolan trilogy that it did. Um, where No Country for Old Men, I do feel as strongly that it's I do feel more strongly that it's nothing really special. Um, certainly not that year i'm glad that we can both agree that there will be blood sort of, of I, I
1: i agree that there will be blood was a better movie um and is a better movie um and while i won't be on this team if you want to tell me that you like zodiac better which i know you will um i'm not going to begrudge yeah. that um but uh i still think it's one of the best films of that year um it's just 2007 was a really really strong year for film <laughs>
0: Well honestly I'm gonna draw more I can I will probably draw more parallels to to my critique of the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight itself and that I think this was a film that that took off more for one great performance and a lot of talent behind behind the rest of the moving parts um, than than it was for really what's there like the I, the meat of the movie
1: I'm I'm already in vehement disagreement with you that you say
0: there is one great performance in this movie. It's true that you know there, but in, I, I know, and I guess in the Dark Knight there really was only one great performance. In but, the Dark Knight, uh, there was a, there there is a runaway performance. performance in No Kind for Old Men, and I don't think you
1: can, you can yeah, disagree with that. But I also yeah. think that there is a more subtle performance that, while being less flashy, is probably more important ultimately and more meaningful. It's Kelly
0: McDonald. Yeah, Kelly McDonald. Okay, good. Glad. <laughs> Glad we're on the same page on that one.
1: Where'd you get that pistol?
0: At the get place.
1: Um, That's the line. That's yep. that the place. Um, uh, no, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. As Sheriff no, Bell. Who's really... The the, the the eponymous, actually, Sheriff Bell. Uh, because he is, indeed, the old man of the title. Um, mm-hmm. well, I, that, no Country for Old actually from a, a poem. but uh, So, basic... Plot synopsis, uh, I guess. Uh, Lowell Moss, played by Josh Brolin, he is a uh, retired. Uh, I forget what he did originally. Work with uh, like a. I actually don't remember his job at all. Um, he, he's retired. He was like some sort of construction worker. Yeah, something. something like that. He was a, He's a veteran also. Uh, but he's out hunting one day, uh, stumbles across a drug scene gone wrong. Uh, there was a shootout. Uh, happened before he got there, obviously. Um, bunch of dead bodies, except one barely hanging on to life. Uh, and he finds uh, a lot of drugs and a satchel of money. Uh, he decides to take that satchel of money and run with it. Uh, upon returning to the crime scene to give water to the one man who was hanging on for dear life, finding out that he's dead. Uh, Anton Shiger and two associates uh, show up. Anton Shiger is a hired uh, assassin who is uh, now after Josh Brolin uh, to retrieve the money uh, and he will kill anyone and anything uh, he needs to do in order to get there. Um, uh, So, A lot of the film is a cat-and-mouse chase between these two characters, um, and also occasionally uh, checking in with Sheriff Bell, played by Tommy Lee Jones, who is the Texas county sheriff, um, on the case, basically, to help bring Llewellyn, uh, to help save Llewellyn, bring him home, subdue Shiger, whatever he has to do. Um, And it's basically about... uh, Really, ultimately, the movie is revealed to be about... Uh, Sheriff Bell feeling the world has grown violent beyond his measure of uh, of understanding uh, and ultimately retiring uh, in a an existential stupor. Uh, that's no country for old men. A really funny movie. Four uh, out uh, of four. Four out of four laughs, four of four laughs uh,
0: would would see on a date again. Uh, I would say I would say I will say that your your description of Tommy Lee Jones becoming so. Uh, disillusioned with the world he lives in is very similar to what I what I've been feeling about politics and why I've tried so so hard to stay away from it. I mean, really um, though, couldn't you
1: uh, you know, could, no, I can identify with this character. Could a lot. you can you imagine sitting at a table right now, uh, having breakfast with your girlfriend and telling her about two dreams you had last night, one of which is where Bernie Sanders met you on a mountain road and uh, rode up past you, and uh, when you when <laughs> you went around the bend, you knew he'd be there waiting for you.
0: I, I could say, I could you imagine up. that. Yeah. But then you woke up. But then you woke up. woke um, up. Well, yes, you, you're right. The, this world has become this world has become violent. But uh, and and I, I spoiled one of my main arguments for you, and I and I hope this actually enhances our conversation rather than uh, mm-hmm. rather than the, the opposite. And and that's that. What I, my feeling about this movie is that. And the disappointing thing I had I found about this movie, even upon a second watch is that I feel like we'll, probably the most profound thing it has to say is that death is inevitable. That That's not even close to true. You know, yeah. You know, I, I've, of course, you know, that's, I knew, I knew that's going to be a reaction. Yeah. And that'd be a lot of people's reactions, but I've, I've tried, I, you know, I've, I've really tried and it seems like that's what it relies on. And, this this arbitrary existential crisis where where Javier Bardem is for all intents and purposes death, um, and everyone he encounters has sometimes he gives them the chance you know the the, the coin flip um, he he is going to kill if not for that if not for that chance and he says things like to Woody Harrelson who shows up only to belabor this point um, you know he says. You, you know, you really need to accept the reality of your situation. You know, there's more dignity in it, uh, and you know, Josh Brolin, Lalo, Moss says, you know, I'm gonna, you know, take you down in order, like it sort of sets up this, this showdown that's not never, never going to happen, and never, I'm not complaining it never that it doesn't. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not complaining that it's that it didn't happen for the record. Yeah, good. Um, yeah. So, and, and then you know, he dies very unceremoniously and quietly. So. It, it just all seems to be pointing to this thing that you you can't ex- escape death uh, because it's inevitable it's going to happen anyway no matter how hard you try and uh, here's an example of people who tried really hard <laughs> okay so my Skype decided it was just going to force an update that's ridiculous yeah. um <laughs> what's happening jesus okay
1: um you good now
0: i am yeah i mean maybe okay. I, know, I hope so. Well, my Skype says it's not responding, but I can still hear you. All right. Oh, no, you're back. We're good. We're good. We're good? Okay, great. Okay. Um,
1: so, yeah, I, I think he's he represents somebody who is not an embodiment of death or or uh, really anything superhuman or supernatural. I think it's more the idea of somebody to whom death is. Death and violence really no longer mean anything grave or even moral. It's not even it, it, it's not even a matter of of conscience of, of knowingly doing something evil. It's that it's it's senseless. It doesn't really have any kind of moral basis at all. Um, and I think okay. that's kind of the existential struggle that Bell goes through throughout the entire film. Um, and I think what resonates at the end with, particularly with Brenda Bell is not so much the idea that he's going to die, but the fact that he is now retired and he is out of commission and that this world has essentially, uh, he is, he hasn't been able to, as he's, I mean, he's, he puts it in a religious context at the end where he says, I, I wasn't able to find, you know, God never came to me. And I thought he was, I thought he would at this age and he didn't. Um, but also just this, this idea that he was not able to, he was not able to find vindication in the world. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's not an upbeat ending, but I think just the takeaway that death is inevitable is is I, I think that's overlooking a lot.
0: Um, All right. Well, I think if the I, I don't know, I think downplaying the the uh, the prevalence of the inevitability of death as a theme in the movie would be like have you ever, have you ever had hint of lime chips and that and that yes. they're entirely lime? Yeah. There's
1: nothing hints of lime about them. They're just they're just Pure I feel like garbage. that's the same
0: thing and also I feel like um, with Harvey Orbum's character as I said his characterization is is another sort of point of contention to me because I th- I think the movie is No Country for Old Men is not clear a how it wants to uh, characterize him and I, and I get that you're saying it's 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 for the, it's more so more than this but I, th- I feel like if this is true Mm-hmm. If if what you're saying is true, then how it how the movie plays out doesn't make a whole lot of sense then because he's he's treated the movie the movie treats him as this completely unstoppable force. There's nothing you can do, uh, you know, to get a, to get away from him. Now, if he is just a flawed human being, then why is that true? And that and, and that's why I struggle with with connecting the two, uh, the the way you do and. Why, why these same things don't really didn't really play out as much for me. Um, it's, it seemed as, there's a you know there's a line in in the end um, about losing losing half your life, you know, chasing for things that trying to get something back that was taken from you, mm-hmm. and and then I and then in my mind I was like okay well that's sort of what what uh, Anton Chigurh is going through. You know he he is sort of being this person who just Ch- chasing down Josh Brolin, he's and you know obviously other people like Josh Brolin who, with whom he's done this before. Um, mm-hmm. That that sort of is become taking over and becoming his life, and I I wish more of that came out for me because what that came what how that came off to me was the same way and you talked about your your least favorite uh sketch in sketch your least favorite segment in wild tales um mm-hmm. was was about the the, demo, the demolition guy the guy who was essentially yeah. a terrorist and uh, you know we yeah. we're, we're galvanite we're galvanizing him for it and, and the takeaway from this is what what you said that what was when i brought up that they do say, there was a point where his wife sort of calls him out and says well, you know, this isn't all, this isn't all stuff that's happened to you. You could have arrived earlier. You could have done this. You know, there are other things you could have avoided these situations, mm-hmm. and and you're like, yeah, that was good, but that's not enough. That's just like a passing glance in that direction.
1: So you're, I, I'm I'm trying to entirely get you around your argument for how that relates to no country. So you're saying that the, the I'm saying that the, the gestures the, the gestures it makes of, toward, uh, not. I mean, look. I think what you're asking for at this point is a character study of Anton Sugar in a film that's essentially not about him. (laughs) Like it's it's what I'm. All I was trying to do is dissuade, you know, get rid of the notion that he's some sort of symbol of death. Or well, and 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 that's my point. That
0: that's my point. That I think the film largely treats him as a symbol of death and only (laughs) takes passing glances at him being something else.
1: No, I think it treats him as a symbol of modern depravity and modern violence. He's not – he's an embodiment of, of something that Bell cannot understand. He can't even exist in the same world as it. It doesn't it, – it, it's it's completely antithetical to what he grew up understanding under his father about how good people and bad people are in the world. Um, it's, it's a complete challenge to these traditional notions. And, uh, I mean, ultimately, that's why the movie – is revealed to be Bell's story but it's not this idea that Sugar's a fucking terminator you know that that's not that's not the point the the point is that you like he, i guess he is kind of uh, an unstoppable force but it's not a force representing death it's a force representing just the uncertainty of modern life um th- like honestly this is a movie about retired people every single character in this movie is a retiree uh, it, th- th- these are people who No longer necessarily feel they have a place in the world, and are kind of felt like feel left behind by it, and are looking at a society that's increasingly beyond their even their comprehension, but also their just ability to exist within it is is fading. That's you know you you grasp onto it by you know I think that's why even Josh Brolin's character is engaging to me because he you you try to latch onto it by you know. You know, procuring money, Uh, you know, you you find, you know, you find objects of ambition, but you don't really you don't really have a stake in the world. You don't really exist anywhere. Um, And that those are the kind of characters No Country is about. And I think Anton even qualifies in that in that sense to the point where he just he, he does kind of just exist as an unfeeling force in the movie. But even he at the end is subject to things like happenstance and chance that you know uh when he's driving his car and gets in the accident at the end you know i i i actually paid it, I, I don't know why i never noticed this before he was he was in the right like it was he had a green light he was passing through and then a car phoned yeah. him um <laughs> you know, he did you know he did nothing wrong and this this arbitrarily happened to him um and in, a, in essence, also kind of proved perversely that he is in fact just flesh and blood. Um, it's the it's it's the most sizable amount of body damage he gets in the entire movie. Um, it's true, but it, I think that doesn't want still, to indicate There's stuff beyond his own. This isn't just a force, you know. This is this is a person. Uh, but it's it's more what he symbolizes to to you know to Bell ultimately as this you know. Unknowable force of of this this unknowable scary thing in the modern world that that he has to either reckon with or be left behind uh, because of.
0: No, I I I, I get I, I get what you're saying here, and and it's a good point to bring up. But the the, uh, the counter in my mind is that although at some points he is revealed to be flesh and blood, he doesn't and. He doesn't die, you know. It's like the the rules of death apply to everyone except him. I
1: I don't know why he has to die. Like, why does that? Why would that have made it a stronger character or a stronger
0: well, film? In in my mind, what I what I've been getting at is that it would have made it less about this this. Uh, it would have made it would have made his character less this parable for for death itself, and it would have made it rely he's, less on the he's, idea he's, that I, I, that. I, I th- uh, we, look, we, we I, you, I get that you disagree with that point. I understand it. Yeah. You know, we're, we're we're at odds on that one. You, you I know, don't... but I'm wondering if I have to make the point. Cl- like, like, I wonder if you're saying I failed to make the, uh, a, a
1: sufficient argument that he does, in fact, represent more than that because you came to like that's what your criticism is founded on, and because it's you're not relenting. And I can only assume you're
0: saying I, I haven't properly refuted it. Well, I mean, aren't you saying the same thing with with what I've said? Yeah, I am. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I get we were at odds, you know. That so okay, that, fine, fine. You know, no,
1: I'm wondering if we should. I mean, I'm, like, is it worth pushing it more? Is like, is it? If I, I don't know. Whatever, it's fine. It's and
0: fine. And, that, and that's fair to bring up. I mean, we should we shouldn't go go back and forth on it. Um. Uh, but it, uh, that to me would have made it less about less the parable of death. It would have made it less uh, the idea that death is inevitable because have showed this person. But all, all it shows is that like nothing really bad happens to him. Like it, de- de- the rules of death, everyone dies unceremoniously. The only, the only big moment happens to him at the end with the car crash. And then he just walks away, you know, no one's going to find him, you know, cause he you know, paid off the kids or whatever. He walks away and nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change for him. And, and that's what gets, that's what still sticks with me that, okay, so he is just a force just a you know, he he's he's not. He limps
1: away at the end, covered in blood, and with a bone sticking out of his arm. Like it's not. He's he it, both physically and morally with you know with with the scene that came just before with Carla Jean. He has been humanized. It, like that that whole sequence is, is clearly points to him being like a person, a person who it, does not hold. He maybe views himself grant you know as this grandiose you know angel of death or whatever you 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 know i i truly believe that maybe he him in his mind views himself that way um Mm -hmm. but i I, I think this idea that he's somehow above responsibility uh for you know above human morals uh above you know and and above being subject to chance is is false and i think the, the the last whole sequence in the film does a lot to completely discredit that. Um, so I think that that whole bit is there for a purpose, and it's not just to say he will walk, you know, limp away to kill another day. Like that's not that's clearly not what they were going for.
0: I I mean I, I get that they were going for, for something more than that, I, it, and this is just a situation where I, I wish these things like played off more for me. But y- even on a second watch, it's just like I, I did I didn't feel that. You know, it's like. Uh, and, and this is just like a sort of like a vicious America uh, crossroads that we're at. That, well, uh, not crossroads is the wrong word, but um, yeah. Except so. this time, I f- I feel like I have the language to defend my point. No, it, no, it's true. We uh, were, were, but what my my point in comparison is that. Uh, it's like we it's, we, saw we saw and it. continue to see different movies. We, we and we the way people describe uh, and the way people describe and the way you describe Mistress America, and honestly, the way you describe No Kind for Old Men, it, it just it makes me wish I saw that movie um, because you know w- w- watching it, I just I just didn't experience it. So, um, mm,
1: so that, that, that makes competition about it very impossible.
0: It, it does. It does. I, I just I was uh, you know, but I, I understand where I understand how you arrived at your your point it just didn't come off that way and that's and that's what i'm what i'm trying to get by is that okay what i saw is is a lot of is this this terminator like force and a lot of people scrambling away from him trying you know trying to avoid him and ultimate realization is that they can't and and while while we talked about a movie recently that did a lot with that idea that death is inevitable we talked about um
1: Synactic New York.
0: Schenectady, Syne- New York. Yes, um, I felt I felt like I wish I saw more of that in in this um, mm. to make that point less less plotting and less trite. Um, but yeah, I, the only the only um, I, I will I will say uh, I can make a, a a pretty good concession that uh, that Tommy Lee Jones his. Uh, his reflecting on this idea is unmistakably about something else. Yeah. Um, So, uh, so I will give you that. Um, But I don't think that's all that, I don't think that, I don't think that's the, I think it's a very splintered in the way it's making, making its arguments in in terms of what it's looking at. So, um, and yeah, I I wish I saw what you saw.
1: Okay. Fair enough. I, I mean, I see literally the entire film, um, and this is maybe why. Uh, I mean, I've seen this movie a lot. I mean, like five times. And uh, this is maybe why the uh, it gets better because the first time you're watching this, it's kind of. I mean, it's almost pulpy, and this this was a. It's not executed that way at all, but this was actually one of Cormac McCarthy's pulpier novels, uh, as a one of the most respected American writers, um, particularly living American writers. Uh, this was kind of his novel that wasn't as well received. It was kind of viewed as more pedestrian, more Hollywood, more, um, you know, still embodying his themes, but kind of McCarthy light, um, and. I think seeing it the first time, it's really easy to just, you know, uh, see it as a, you know, two thirds uh, of the film is a brilliant cat and cha- cat and mouse chase thriller. Um, and the last third is a really boring old man talking about his place in the world. Um, but I think the, you know, watching it again, you realize it, the film really ultimately is about Bell and how these two reflect on his basically how these two look to him and what they mean to him uh in in terms of what kind of world he exists in now um and i think that's why it gets more it becomes a stronger movie the more you see it uh because it's it's got three central characters uh none of whom ever actually share a frame together in the entire movie um and Oh, and it kind of takes a while before you even really understand where the focus of this film is meant to be. Um, so I think that's maybe why I, I I do understand why you kind of have a difficult time gleaning more meaning than just death is inevitable. But I I do think it's definitely there. Um, and it,
0: well, it. And in fairness to the, to the Coen Brothers, after I after I saw the Counselor, which was. One hundred and fifty percent about oh, inevitability of death. Oh yes, uh, it
1: was. Yeah, can we can we talk about that on here sometime, please? Like, let's do that. Let's do that. The next Cormac McCarthy movie that comes out.
0: A forgotten, on favorite. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, and please stay forgotten. But you know, <laughs> that that movie made me really reflect on how much of No Country for Old Men, how much of what I didn't like in No Country for Old Men was was Cormac McCarthy's sensibilities and his source mm-hmm. material seeping through, than it was the Coen Brothers. And I think uh, you know, I definitely did. Land on more favorable toward the Coen brothers after, after that. And, you know, I've uh, two, two movies since that I've, I've watched that you, one, you made me watch Burn After Reading and um, Mm -hmm. the other, other Hail Caesar. I've enjoyed very much so.
2: And not just because
0: they're more comedic, they're more comedic titles. Yeah, I I think that
1: one one thing I like about your taste in Coen Brothers, is that I can really talk to you about their comedies because you're I think we're on definitely on the same page about them. Um, where like a lot of people are kind of scattered. Um, I wonder how you'd react to Barton Fink. That's a that's a great. Hmm. It's it's darkly comic. Um, yeah, we should do Barton Fink sometime. That'd be fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 not possible
0: that that McCarthy's just not your just not your tempo. Um, and I want to be very clear No Country for Old Men is the I want to say infinitely better film than, than The Counselor I, I don't I don't see it in the, in the same way if, I just I Matt, wish it I would be yelling so I would be yelling so much louder if you were trying to argue anything different like that's
1: yeah that's preposterous
0: <laughs> no that that would that would be film illiteracy um, yes
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> in so many ways so uh, I, I'm and I'd say I, I need you know the purpose of the On, on the Contrary is to Expose the film for what I, you know, for for what I see is wrong with it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, um, and and that, and that's what I'm doing and I'm focusing on that. But I I know there's a lot of talent here and I and there is a lot of good things and you know, Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones especially his, his character was definitely interesting and and I I wish there was more of the more of the moments that I really liked that countered my opinion, um, that that I have largely so, um, but yeah, there's there's nothing good to say about about the counselor so. <laughs> No, there's really not. Um, but
1: you know, I, I am pretty cold toward that movie. But you know, I think the truth yeah. has no temperature. So,
0: um, Get fucking shit. shit. <laughs> um, hey Mike, wh- what were we gonna do next week? And I and, I, and I'm not. This isn't trying to be so, a ham-handed segment. I, I really mean. What were we gonna do next week? Oh, we were gonna do Deadpool. Deadpool. Yeah, and, and buried. buried. Deadpool yeah. and buried. It's a. That's a. Damn good plan. Um, the thing that I just popped in my mind is that this Friday, I will – sorry, this weekend anyway – I will be able to see 45 Years, which is the last movie Great. on my list Great. before I can make my top list. Do you want to talk about it next week? I mean, I've seen it, so. Well, no, I don't want to talk about it, But what I'm saying is that by next episode – I'm well, not by Monday, so oh, are going to be – ep- you're going to be ready to make your well, list. Actually, I just – but I, I did just uh, – I will be ready to make my list, but not by Monday, which is when we're going to be recording. So it'll have to be the Monday after that. would be our I mean best. Do you, you think you can think you yeah. can handle that? Yeah, I mean, you'd be killing me if it was this Monday, but uh,
1: next Monday. I mean, I, I gotta see uh, about four or five films before I feel comfortable. But I can, I can cram those.
0: Yeah, I think that should be the only thing we try to focus on after after doing the Deadpool and
1: Buried. Yeah, I mean that's fine, I and mean, then that'll be like our send off for 2015, and then we can, you know, keep trying to find sustainable movies to keep us going until summertime.
0: Yeah, no, 45 years—that'll be the, that'll be that's the movie I've been holding I'm, out for. That's oh, why my top list is taking until the second week I, of I, February to make. Oh so. man,
1: no, this is great because you can respond one of two ways uh, to 45 years, and uh, I'm I'm excited for either one. But cool, yeah. So, so changing the subject so abruptly basically confirmed that I won, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's gotcha. my resignation. Cool, um, cool, cool. Yeah. good, complete, good. complete. Uh, no, no country, no country is a masterpiece. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's the best film that won the best picture Oscar, um, probably, probably since at least two thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, uh, and I, we could probably carry that out before then too. Um, it's a fucking masterpiece. I don't, I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I'll
0: have the. I'll. You know. I, I will. I'm all for giving films more chances and watching them because if I one day see a great film, then woo. Um. Ah. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna watch The Assassin again at some point. Yes, we uh, we uh, are we are going to do that. Oh, we both are? of us. We are both gonna do it. Yeah. Okay. Not not necessarily together, but yes.
1: We'll, we'll maybe someday get back to it and be like, uh, do like a "We Were Wrong" segment.
0: We were wrong, which is gonna be one of the segments. By the way, I look forward to that on our on our best episode. I've pitched mm-hmm. this to Mike. We're gonna be talking about it. Instances this year where we said things that turned out out to be really stupid. Yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah, we're oh, gonna be yeah. introspective. We're not we're not gonna save all the criticism for people who, you know, we never met.
1: <laughs> yeah
0: yeah no we're gonna it's 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 basically us
1: uh it's basically us roasting ourselves so uh it'll be that'll be that'll be fun um
0: that will uh, i'm excited for that one and are we done uh, are
1: we done with no country are we do we do we do we stop uh i don't know are we okay i don't know um i'm trying to think now i mean i i praise their direction i praise the like, like I, I think ultimately, it may just come down to the fact that, I, you know, like I said before, I don't, I don't think you're a McCarthyite, um, which is understandable. Although, I, I mean, I find, when he's at his best, I find him really moving. And uh, I think the Coen's brought him to the visual realm as best as anyone possibly could. Um, and I think No Country was probably the best novel to do it, just because it was the least successful as a novel. Um, and
0: I'll tell you that I don't think, I've been... I've been several times in the past, in the recent memory, and I like and even though it's too recent to say for sure, but I feel like I've been on the right side of history. And that's to say that I wasn't too fond of Gravity when it came out. Mm-hmm. That I thought uh, Wolf of Wall Street was one of uh, Scorsese's best films, if not his best. Um, both of which were ridiculous things to say at the time, and have inched more toward being correct. So, uh, but I. Don't think I'll ever be on the right side of history um, on on there will be blood. So uh, I you mean, no you, cu- you mean no country? There will be yeah, no country for old men. You're, I'll always be on the right side of history. There me, will be blood, and that is. We're
1: always. I was like, if you have anything bad to say about there will be blood, the best film of the decade. You 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 can take it up with me. I will <laughs> I will I will destroy you.
0: You can do it on the, You can come on our show and do it on the contrary with both of us.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh of uh of oh my god. Yeah, that'd be great. Invite a guest onto the show and then just rip them a new ass. Yeah,
0: exactly. They would love us. They would love they would totally tell all their friends about us and they'd come on our show again.
1: <laughs> they fucked me so hard. It was awesome. <laughs>
0: uh yeah, so no, that's my that's my overall. That's that's my one that's my waving my white flag and that uh, although, although you haven't convinced me and I hope I am convinced someday, I know I will never be right, uh, historically speaking, about this.
1: I mean, I guess only the film really can convince you. Um, so I will say I, I, I think you're dead wrong about the film, but I do kind of forgive you because you are a great person to talk to about their comedies, which f- f- uh, apparently everyone else in the world doesn't seem to care for that much um, until 10 years later, in which case college frat boys can't stop quoting them.
0: Yeah, well, I can't wait for 2026 when Hail Caesar's uh, a cult classic.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, we're ahead of the curve on that one.
0: Uh, that that it, it's great. It's it's
1: phenomenal. I I love Hail Caesar.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I was right about Gravity and Wall Street, though. <laughs> you were not right for Wall Street for sure, and you were mildly right about Gravity. <laughs> still, still think it's a. Still think it's a staggeringly impressive movie that just it's technically uh, impressive I will give you it's that. technically it's technically impressive and i'm still i still like the visual metaphors but the, they're really fucking hit you over the head obvious and and it's there's not a whole lot more to the movie than than that it, it, it's 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 a film that gets worse every time i see it i guess like i, I just get less and less out of the experience because i already know what's coming
0: and hey, um, people people are coming around on wolf of wall street okay don't don't count me out just yet hey Dude, come on! It's
1: uh, second best Scorsese movie. Uh, no, no, not even
0: close. That's you know you're you're saying that so forcefully now, but I I think you'll find you have a lot less backing than you did back then.
1: Who who's rating it that highly? You can find
0: it, man. It's not it's not hard. Yeah,
1: I could find some guy. I I, I could find a guy telling me that. Uh Grown Ups 2 is a better film than Twelve Years a Slave. And in fact, that's a professional critic. I can find that who said who I can find who says that. So uh, what's your point? Well the consensus know, is I, not- I,
0: well you're you're sort of you know doing a straw man on this and the saying by I guess so. Yeah. But, <laughs> but well, by saying that I'm arguing that if you could find one person to say it and I'm not, I you know, the the support is, is growing. Okay, um, Alright. Yeah. Particularly as people particularly as cinema becomes more comfortable with and uh, quite frankly younger um, becomes becoming more comfortable with debauchery depicted on in in film. Um, You know, that that's, it's not something that he did first, but it's definitely one of the loudest ones in recent memory. Um, Yeah. I mean, I I, I, a lot of that and people have an immediately violently negative reaction to that. So, uh, Mm -hmm. Without, without paying attention to its significance and its pointedness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: a lot of that is going to come from... You're
1: right. It's, it's going to come from people, uh, w- once they stop being shocked by it and looking at it as uh, a piece about the modern economic ethos. Um, yeah. Okay. You're right. Um, I guess we just differ on how far we think that'll ultimately carry it. But, I mean, I, I, I will concede... Uh, people who were at first watching this movie and being like, "This is this is debauchery. This is obscene," and then and then it freeze turns on them, and Leo's voiceover goes, "It was obscene." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, really, uh, I it, it it yeah. I mean, th- those are facile arguments, um, and they're, they're they were they were stale when they were first made, and they're they're fossilized now. Um, and I think people are, yeah, they, they, I think they're over that. It's gonna. And they're giving it a second look, and it's getting better received. Um, I guess we'll see how far that ultimately takes it. It will be very interesting if this is in the top conversation. I I, I don't think it will be. I don't think it'll go that far. But
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, I I'm not the person who said yeah. this. This is a, this is a great quote, and this is a theme of overall what we're saying. And uh-huh. that's that, uh, that history is the only critic that matters. You know? Yeah. Um, yep. You're right.
1: That's a that's true.
0: So we'll we'll, we'll see. I'm never gonna be right about No Country for Old Men. So, though, but really, damn it, we, I think it. <laughs> we'll never be right about No Country, and at least you admit it. Um, and also, well, I mean, I mean, right historically, but yeah.
1: I, I mean, I mean, any kind of right about it, <laughs> but that's not what i mean. Uh huh. Sure.
0: Um, <laughs> would that it were so simple, Mike? Would that it were
1: so simple?
0: Why are you saying twer? Yeah, we I mean, didn't even talk about Ray Fines. Ray Fines so, is fucking fantastic. Oh my
1: God! I mean, he's in.
0: I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about
1: anyone who's not Eddie Mannix, George Clooney, uh, or uh, Aiden.
0: Uh, I forget his fucking name. The, the kid. Like Einrickson Ein or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah um, who basically get the most screen time by far. Everyone else has maybe two scenes, if not one. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Fiennes has, I think, two. Um, and all of them are are in comic relation with the cowboy star turned a serious dramatic actor
0: when hit, his commentary on on extras is another poignant criticism about how people in hollywood view people outside of hollywood. oh
1: that's right because you can't trust an extra
0: yeah that's it it's like you never know what they're thinking <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Yeah, I know, too. Like, what the fuck? Well, it's the same thing that, like, you know, people, Hollywood, everyone in Hollywood was so paranoid about communism, but what happens? They're fucking right in the movie, so. Yeah, yeah, they're right, but the communists are, too, are so stupid
1: that they, that after extorting money from the studios for the benefit of all of them, they give it to one leader who then promptly drops it into the ocean.
2: <laughs> no.
1: Uh... It is yeah. it is stunningly hilariously brilliant. I don't know like honestly I don't know how you don't have a you don't have a big fucking smile on your face this whole movie. It's uh I don't
0: movie was hilarious hands it's down. So.
1: I am so happy that we were both like didn't just like we are pretty enthusiastic about this. I
0: Yeah, uh, I'm not like it's a, I I don't I don't understand how people have a middling reaction to this movie. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't understand the negative reaction. Either. I think it's just a, a misinterpretation. But...
1: The negative reaction I really feel like is is an outcrop of just not even of being so consumed and ready to like ready for a prepackaged movie that you don't like the, the offbeat structureless uh, film that you actually get. Um, I, I don't know, man. I just kind of, I I didn't even try to intellectualize this movie, although you certainly can. I like, I I just kind of went off a guttural reaction. I laughed a lot in the film and the references I got were brilliant. And I, I walked away feeling like I had watched a whole complete, really like really well-researched and thought out crafted comedy film that I would love to watch in the future to even just understand more of the humor. It's
0: yeah, that would be a a very, I don't even know what I'm saying. Uh... I
1: don't don't either, Uh, but it's, it's, this is right along with the Coen's, Great farces, I. Yeah, I. I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I would have more to say if if there was someone arguing the opposite. But um, I'm glad we could be on the same team with this one.
0: Yeah, this this seems to happen a lot. We're we're, we're very often. We're, we're very seldom. I
1: don't, think, I don't think we argue enough.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We're not, we're not Cisco and Ebert as much as we we look like them.
1: We we certainly. <laughs> them, but. Uh, <laughs> So that would, that would mean that you're the one who thought *Pavement* picking the city uh, was the best film of 1998.
0: And you're the one who who accepted a huge bribe to say that *The Crash* was the better film. <laughs> I call this a draw. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, we've already sort of went over what we are going to do in the weeks come, so look forward to that. Uh, Otherwise, I just think it was a great show this week, and it's going to be a great show next week. And as always, thank you for listening.